0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything this week, so let's jump right in and see what we got. First up, save states have been added to the MISTER's NES core by developer Robert Pipe, who I'll talk about in a second. Um, And now that makes the following cores available for save states. NES, Game Boy... Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, and the Atari Lynx, which is pretty cool. Um, I hope I didn't miss any other ones, but Robert has implemented the save states into all of those, and I think many people who enjoy playing retro games would really appreciate that, both to pick up from where you left off, or especially even content creators and speedrunners who either want to pick that exact scene for comparisons, or people who want to practice certain areas. You know, the misters um, overall... Accuracy, especially if you use a low-latency USB controller like the MacGyver ones, allow you to take original controllers, and if you're playing on a CRT, it's pretty darn close If not imperceptible from original hardware. So, even if somebody still wants to do their speedruns on original hardware, practicing on this setup should be exactly the same. You shouldn't need to tweak your moves or anything like that. Um, Overall, these things always, all extra features like this do get me excited, even if it's not ones that I use all the time. Although, I probably will be using this a lot for creator based stuff. And if you would like to try out how to use these, uh, First, update your mister using whatever method you normally do. My favorite at the moment is still update all. Then once it's rebooted, you'll now just have the option to save and restore state right from the NES core. So you don't actually have to install anything, just run the auto updater. Um, Obviously, you need to be connected to some kind of network for that. And once you're in, that's pretty much it. You could select if you want to save states to the SD card, which almost all of us would want that on. The only time you want that off is if you're doing something like practicing a speed run and you're constantly going back and you don't want to accidentally hit save and overwrite what's on the SD card Um, you just want to leave it in memory and when it reboots it just resets back to normal but I think 99% of the rest of us would just leave this on Uh, and then you could select or load a save state from a number of different slots and if you want to try all this out for yourself um, I did one with the NES Legend of Zelda 1 And if you want to download this yourself, just drop it into the save states folder that's now created and rename this the exact same name as your Legend of Zelda ROM with dash one, two, three, whatever afterwards, whatever save state slot that you want to correspond to. And that's it. You could give this a try now. Um, You could obviously just create your own, but I just thought it would be neat to post this here for creators that might want to say, you know, hey, check out this exact spot in this game. What do you think? You know, or, or whatever. We're nerds. We'll find a million reasons to use this thing. So, um... Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome addition, and it's something that, uh, that I think most people would really appreciate. Uh, and of course, because I'm a ham sometimes, I used a 5X capture of Zelda, um, the, the dungeon scene in Legend of Zelda 1 just to show that there's zero cutoff on the bottom here. It's right up against the black. I, I did check. And zero cutoff at the top. So it's just, uh, you know, sorry for cheap self-promotion, but that's just another reason I've been kind of pushing 5X on people in almost all scenarios. We've found one or two games that maybe you probably would want to switch it to 4X or, or whatever other mode, but pretty much on the console side, this is has always and probably will always be my favorite way, or I guess 10X and 11X when 4K scalers come out. So I just wanted to add that in there because a lot of people did seem to think that things would get cut off and they just don't. So uh, anyway, uh, please enjoy your NES save states from now on. And speaking of Robert, I just did an interview with him. Um, he is an FPGA developer by day and also an FPGA Mr. Developer as a hobby and has created the Game Boy Advance core, the Lynx core, and the save states that I just mentioned uh, and is currently working on a Wonder Swan core and a bunch of other cool stuff. Um, I absolutely had a blast talking to him. Um, I- I asked a lot of questions that I I just really wanted the perspective of an FPGA developer, as well as tie it into the stuff that he's worked on, and I think he was able to explain stuff in a way that I I hadn't grasped some of this stuff as fully before as I did now. So, if you're a fan of Mr. or Retro Gaming, or just hearing cool people talk about nerd stuff, I highly recommend this one. Uh, It was just a blast, and I think think people that really want to understand more about how this stuff works would really benefit from listening. As always, it's available as a video on YouTube, and everywhere audio podcasts are found, except iTunes, maybe. It's not working for some people. It stopped working for me. I I promise I'll fix that soon. I've just been a bit overwhelmed the past few weeks, but I'll I'll get back on that as soon as I possibly can. Um, And for now, worst case scenario, you could always just click on the link right in the description and there's a direct mp3 download uh, if that's easier for you as well. As I always say about these interviews, it's very nice, especially for the guests to see a lot of hits on the video itself. Uh, But I do explain to everybody that most people listen to this on the audio-only platforms. Uh, In fact, uh, the audio-only platforms are strongly growing with these weekly podcasts as well, which I think is awesome. I mean this in the most loving way possible. I don't care how you Listen to any of this stuff. As long as you enjoy it and you're listening, I'm very appreciative of that. So, um, you know, YouTube clicks are nice, but whatever's the easiest way to get to any of these podcasts, please go for it. Uh, I just want to help spread the word of all of these awesome developers and people in the scene. And hopefully I'll start having, you know, a more regular schedule of doing these because uh, I, I absolutely love doing them. It's just time and coordination of this stuff sometimes doesn't quite work out. But I'm going to keep punching away and try to talk to a bunch more really cool people. Voltar recently posted a video that shows a potential fix for any 3DS games that may have stopped booting. Um, I believe this all stemmed from a forum post where a few people had their Pokemon Omega Ruby cart stop booting at all. And Zach kind of speculated that the lead-free solder combined with surface mount components on a cartridge that flexes more might actually be the issue. Because if you think about it, you know, those big NES, Super Nintendo, Genesis cartridges, even N64, they don't really flex and most of those had <coughs> excuse me, had through hole components in them, especially the older ones and, and chips with nice big pins on them. Whereas this later model stuff, it's all surface mount with very thin pins. Um, not as much solder is used across each one because, you know, there's no room. You see, anybody watching on video could see the drag solder technique Zach showing that doesn't really add a lot of solder on here. Um, and of course the fact that lead-free solder, while great for the environment, doesn't last as long as this stuff. So he thought that maybe just very carefully reflowing the pins on the chip would solve it, and it seemed to for his. So while I certainly wouldn't recommend everybody go out and start reflowing their uh, their games if they're not working, if they stop working, this should be something that you could feel free to try, especially because if it stopped working anyway, what's the difference? Um, but unlike capacitor replacement and stuff like that, this isn't required and you don't need to do any preemptive maintenance on it like that. You could basically just use the 3DS cart until it either stops working or, or doesn't and just keeps working um it's not like anything's gonna leak or break so i personally wouldn't even touch the inside of these carts unless something does happen and unless it's happening consistently you know if you take it out you clean it off put it back in and it works then you know i wouldn't even bother but if your stops working i would definitely look into this method and see because it's a if you're familiar with drag soldering across surface mount components which even i could do and i'm not great at this um then then you could figure out how to do this and revive a potentially dead game. Um, also, I have no clue why Zach hasn't made this video public. It's still unlisted, so the only way to get to it is through this post. It would be funny if if this was some conspiracy to get you to click on my, my link, but it really isn't. I just have no idea why Zach didn't make that uh, public to everybody, so it's not hidden or anything. Uh, so if you want to check out the video, just click through the post. Sorry about that. The Dreamcast puzzle game Sakura Wars Columns 2 has just gotten a full English translation. Now, this game is set in the Sakura Wars universe, but it is not really related to the Saturn game, which did actually get an English translation about a year and a half ago. Uh, Ray did a post on that, which is, of course, linked in this post. Um, This is really just a puzzle game, but it's pretty heavy into the text, and only really the title menus were in English. So the, the team that translated this made this available to play, and it seems like a pretty fun puzzler. Um, So anybody that that wants to try this out, just patch a GDI image with uh, the patch file that they've already provided and more information and everything is right on the GitHub page. And, you know, as always, I just have a huge appreciation for everybody that does translations like this, um, because even if these don't turn out to be your favorite game, you could now experience something that was only available to people who spoke the native or spoke and read the native language that it was printed in. So uh, this does look like a cool puzzler that I'd like to give a chance at some point, Um, but doesn't really matter in my opinion what the game was. Now another game is added to the Dreamcast library that anybody who could read English can play. So thanks so much to everybody that works on all kinds of translations. Um, You know, it's It's very often overlooked in the hype factor, but I don't think the excitement is any less than you'd think. So I I hope that came out the right way. But, you know, I think a lot of people see an English translation and go, oh, this is awesome. And they download it and they play it and they truly appreciate it, but it doesn't get as much, you know, OMG, look at this on Twitter as some of the other flashier stuff. So I just want all the people working on these translation projects to know we do care, we do appreciate it, and we do know how much work, most of us know how much work goes into these things. So please don't stop. It's uh, much appreciated, and I can't wait to see what other games I'm now able to try for the first time. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video about the Nintendo DS open source composite video out project. It was a very cool video. It included a short interview with somebody who worked on the team and explained how they were able to pull this off. Uh, But even more importantly than that, it showed all of the features of this board that I didn't realize were there. Either I just didn't pick up on it when I read the original post um, or I skimmed over it or something, but I originally thought that this project was absolutely amazing, a great research project, I mean, all the positive things that you could imagine. But I also kind of got the impression that, like, well, maybe not a lot of people would actually play this way, because you kind of have to tether yourself to maybe a small composite video CRT or something like that. But Tito demoed some of the features, which include screen swapping, which is cool, but also picture-in-picture options and and stuff that I just didn't even know could be done on something like this. So if um, if you're interested in NDS composite output or really anything like that, I would definitely give this one a shot. Um, you know, it's you can't output both screens at the same time, but for overall just gaming, it seems like a pretty good option. I also did a live stream with Tito that night uh, where we demoed the IS... Uh, the IS Nitro Capture, the Intelligent Systems box that was used by developers um, and also for uh, for journalists and stuff to get screen captures of the Nintendo DS. Uh, you know, we talked... It was like an interview slash live stream. I'd like to get Tito on more often because he seemed really awesome, and I'm obviously a fan of his work. But this is a very interesting box, and I'm going to do a dedicated video on this at some point, hopefully in the near f- uh, future. But it's basically something that was direct-wired inside a Nintendo DS and breaks it out to a pretty complicated uh, multi-board piece of hardware. And at first I didn't really understand why, but these are designed to interface with it not just for capture, but for developer use. So the ones labeled the Nitro Capture, you could just plug retail games in and do what we did and get video output. Uh, It's dual output, each is a 240p output, at least on my model. There's reports that some are for uh, the older ones could be 480i only, and of course there's also dip switches, so you could send both out through 480i or something like that. Um, but they're are pretty cool boxes. However, the ones labeled Nitro Emulator, you have to tether to a PC and then load games that way through the software. Which, if you were a developer who hadn't, you know, didn't want to. Uh, have a full ROM of your game every time you wanted to test it. That would actually be easier in development. A little harder for us on the user end that just want to try out games with video output. But it's a very interesting piece of equipment. Um, I've never seen one in person, but I know they make them for the 3DS as well. And they generally are pretty expensive. Uh, One of the questions I always get whenever I talk about it is, could you RGB mod it? Because it doesn't output RGB natively. And the answer is yes, The early ones that I think might be 480i only use the same chips that were in the later model N64s, so you would probably have to use an N64 digital to do that, and I don't know how that would work. Um, The model that I have uses the GameCube guts, so you could manually wire in a GC video and actually get HDMI out as well. But it's my opinion, and this is just my opinion. I'm not telling anybody what to do or anything. Um, These are a rare collector's item piece of hardware. This is the type of collection piece that you could use and is functional, but is way more important, once again, just my opinion, as a holy crap, look at this awesome piece of history. So I would thoroughly recommend using just S-Video out, which isn't bad at all. That's what I used for these streams and use you know, a, a couple of scalers, two retro tanks, whatever else in order to get HDMI out of both of them, because I just wouldn't feel comfortable modding something like that. Some people have, and you know, once again, it's their unit. They could do whatever they want with it. And it did look really cool. I believe the person showed it outputting HDMI. That's awesome. Definitely. But I just think that uh, in my for my setup, I'm leaving this one completely stock. So I'll have a video. I mean, hopefully by summertime showing exactly what these things do, why they're cool, why, you know, some disadvantages. I saw a lot of shimmering. Every time I say that, I feel like Mark's going to jump out of nowhere and say it for me. But um, I saw a lot of shimmering, even though I did an absolute one to one uh, capture of it. I didn't scale outside of the uh, nearest neighbor scaling. And I don't know what that is. Is that just the inherent look of the DS game? Is it something to do with how it processes the video out? So I'd like to do a little bit more research. I'd also like to check out one of the versions that is 480i only to see what's up with those. But I would love to do a video on this just to archive a piece of history. That's very cool if you own it. um, But I think... Uh, I would be looking more towards an HDMI output solution or the DS TV mod that uh, that Tito just did on the Macho Nacho Productions channel. So if you're interested in Nintendo DS stuff, please check out both of those videos. Um, the live stream is a couple hours long, but you just got to watch the first five minutes to get the gist of it. Basically, you know, watch from Mario Kart to... Uh, um, Contra and you could see the screens in use and and get a good sense of what that thing's like. Uh, I mean, if you enjoy it, leave the whole thing on, of course. But if you're just curious, you only need to spend about five minutes on that video. So links to everything are there and I hope you enjoy them. The Junker headquarters wiki is now hosting a page that shows console power supply information for a ton of different consoles. Um, This is something that's super important and, and great information to archive This was started by Frederick Nyquist and now contains about 60 console revisions. And it shows you information, uh, you know, the basics, the brand, the model, the region, um, listing model numbers. And then it gets to the good stuff that we all need to know. What is the voltage input? So is it an international PSU or is it just regional? Um, What mode is it? Is it AC or DC output? What the voltage and amperage are? The, uh, what the pinout is, if there's an orientation, and what the size of the DC connector jack is. So this is all the information you would need if you misplaced a power supply. There's also notes about uh, if it'll work on other power supplies or if you could work uh, use ones from different consoles on this. It's super important info, uh, both for archival use and for just people that need power supplies. Um, I did that post a while back that showed... Replacement power supplies from Castlemania, and also there's international PSU links in this as well for people that just simply want to buy a power supply that's known, good, and tested, and compatible with their retro console. And I honestly think both are super important pieces of information. Um, I think just you know going in and archiving all of this data to have, as well as having them available to purchase or replacements available to purchase, is awesome and super important. I think a lot of us over the years may have really tried to hunt down OEM ones knowing that a lot of the third-party adapters are absolute junk and you probably shouldn't be using most of them. Uh, You know, I'm mostly talking about the ones that you'll find on Amazon and eBay for $2 or something like that. It's the reason those things are so cheap and the good ones aren't. Uh, It's not markup. It really is the quality of the components. So... Hopefully this is something that we could uh, that could be built upon both the uh, the power supplies that you could buy now the replacements as well as this wiki and this just info that it's really great and I think we should all appreciate that somebody's taken the time to do this and hopefully we could keep it up and just start adding every console revision that's already or that's not already listed. Stack smashing has just posted something absolutely awesome. It is a piece of hardware, a protocol and a video that all allow you to play Tetris on an original Game Boy multiplayer over the internet. Uh, it's a very cool project that basically used a packet sniffer to or a logic analyzer to go through and figure out exactly what's being transferred from the original Game Boy to another Game Boy when in Tetris multiplayer mode. And that was able to be rewritten in a way where if you connect to a main server, you could play this across the internet. And remember that all of your moves when you're playing in something like this, all of the gameplay is still on the local handheld. So the Delay, if it's even noticeable at all, isn't going to affect your gameplay because it's probably not too much more than what it would be if you were in, in person sitting next to somebody, but even if the delay was a second or two, it should be fine for most multiplayer scenarios, and it's something that I'm pretty excited to try. Not only will it work on original Game Boys, though, the board itself has two connectors, so you could use a link cable to play, I believe, Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance as well. So you don't have to have an original Game Boy, and I believe this means you could use a Game Boy Advance consolizer too, which is very cool. Uh, So if anybody wants one of these right now, they're selling the board only, but you need some more stuff. Um, the board itself could be purchased for $15 plus shipping. I believe it was 20 bucks total to the US. Uh, this is a pre-order. They'll probably ship in June. And this is just the board that has the level shifters on them. What you will then need to do is also purchase a Raspberry Pi Pico and a basic link cable. And that's pretty much it. Then you're able to use this with a USB protocol in order to get online with it. Um, Now, I'll have links to everything that you need in here. The only question I have are the pins that connect the Raspberry Pi Pico to this. I hope one of the two comes with it. I've never bought a Raspberry Pi Pico, so this might be a very dumb question, and I apologize if it is. Uh, But if not, we'll have to figure out which of the pin standoffs in order to, uh, to get to solder these together. But that's basically it. You buy this board, you buy the Pico, solder them together. Connect one USB connection to either an Android phone or a PC, connect the other to the link port of your Game Boy, Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance, and then log into their website and start playing with a friend or multiple. Uh, And I just think this is really awesome because not only is it something that I'm going to have a blast doing, but the whole fact that you could play with more than one person at a time is now surpassing original hardware, because it was only one-to-one with original. So this is very cool stuff. Um, if you're a fan of Game Boy Tetris like I am, uh, this is definitely something that you'd probably want to look into. So look into pre-ordering the board. Even if you're not somebody who could solder, this is something fairly easy. So uh, if you don't own a soldering iron, you know, your your friend could probably do it, who tinkers, and you don't have to worry about bad mods or anything like that. Uh, it should be pretty straightforward. So Definitely check out the video to get a full sense of what it could do, but as soon as I get my board, I will challenge all of you to online Game Boy Tetris. I'm actually not that great, but I don't suck at it, so I should provide a decent, a decent bit of competition. Uh, I could never be a pro-level player, but I won't let you down. So let's see what happens when these things come out. Definitely check this uh, Stack Smashing video for all the info you need. Uh, this is pretty exciting to me. And lastly, I have a full review of the JAMA Supergun Mini from Ashenworks, and even if you're not really into Superguns now, if you just need some info, maybe stick around and listen to this, because I have some general tips about Superguns that you might want to just keep in the back of your mind. But if you have no desire to own a Supergun, you could feel free to close the podcast now. I save this for last just to make that easier. Uh, but if you're still with me on this, Ashenworks has just released a Supergun that is Really designed to work with almost all JAMA-based arcade boards. I'll get back to the almost part in a minute. Uh, The price is $90, and it comes with the Super Gun and Power Supply, which is kind of a big deal if you've used Super Guns before, because you usually have to go hunt down a Power Supply as well. The price was 90 uh but after cables and shipping to the us it came to 130 but shipping is all over the place these days so by the time you read this you might it might be cheaper it might be more expensive we can't blame anybody else for the shipping issues so that is what it is um but overall this is something that i thought was very cool because it encompasses a lot of the features that you would need and once again the fact that you could buy it together as a kit is pretty cool um, it's got power input Uh, RCA audio and D-sub outputs for video and audio, two uh, DB15 inputs, so Neo Geo style, the same as every other uh, different kind of super gun. It's got RGB gain controls, and it's got uh, kick harness connectors and service and test menu. So, other than the optional ability to output component video, it's pretty standard. Um, the case for it only covers the bottom, not the top, which is fine. Uh, I really think isolation at the bottom is most important because a lot of people put these down on the top of monitors and you don't want anything to short out. A full case is nice, but then you have to figure out a way to get to the buttons and the knobs with the case on it. Or worse, you'd have to remove the case to get to those. So I'm totally cool with it only having a case and feet on the bottom. I don't think that would affect most people's purchases. Um, but overall, it performed pretty well. It did have a potentiometer for video output, and I do have a warning about that that applies to every single SuperGun out there with an adjustment knob on it, not just this one. But basically, I got it home, I plugged it in, everything looked fine on the scope, uh, except sync. I'll get to that in a second. But the RGB levels looked fine. And then, just to see what would happen, I cranked the voltage all the way up to max. Now, remember, I have test equipment that's designed to do stuff like this so do not do that into your processor or switch or anything like that but I showed that even at max voltage um, if you probably were just testing it you know you want to set it to the middle you're not really going to have a voltage concern Um, even if it's if you set it to the middle and it's a little too high it's probably not going to be too high to actually do damage and if you have to eyeball the levels then just make it until it's just a little bit too dim, just to be safe. And when I say too dim, I don't mean like squinting to see it. I mean like, oh, that looks bright and great. All right, let me turn it down. Mm -hmm. That should be okay. That's the best and safest way if you have to eyeball something like that. And in the case of this particular super gun, I can't imagine that eyeballing it in the middle would provide you with voltage that's too high for scarred equipment. Now there's always crazy use cases. There are always arcade boards that output different voltages than others. I believe CPS3s are notorious for being hotter on the output side, but it should be a general safe thing to use. But I just want to reiterate that every single super gun that comes with potentiometers on them uh, has to be calibrated before it's shipped, and if it's not, you could get something, plug it in, and if somebody forgot and had the knobs up, you could send a lot of voltage to your equipment. So this is a concern with every super gun, and as long as you're pretty careful with it, you should be totally fine. Uh, I am a fan of some of the other designs that just used fixed resistors, so that it might not be perfect, but you're almost never going to have a chance of sending too much voltage. But it is what it is, and having an adjustment knob on here is a pretty, coo- pretty cool thing to deal with, especially if you're going direct into an RGB monitor. It's a little less sensitive than SCART equipment. Now, when you switch the video output, you could get component video output out of that same D-sub connector. So all you would need is a cable, maybe a VGA to BNC, and then use adapters on the end, or just the cable that I'm showing here is a breakout cable. And the switch on the board does the video conversion on the board itself. So the cable is just a pass-through cable, nothing else. Uh, The warnings on voltage still apply though. Don't plug this into a component video device. Crank the voltage all the way to the top and turn it on. It's the same same warning there. But once again, leave it in the middle and you should be about fine. And of course, if you have a scope that you could measure any of this stuff on, that's always the best way, but most people probably aren't going to have that. So eyeballing it is about the same that you would have to deal with on most other super guns. The only thing to take note of is the sync voltage is TTL level high voltage sync. It's not so bad because I think most people who have used devices in the retro gaming world that output RGB over a D-sub connector, so RGBs over something that looks like a VGA connector, they're all used to having that. So the Mister does this. Um, any of like the uh, the Raspberry Pi hats or the VGA output on them, you would need a sync combiner for those anyway. But all of those, uh, you would need some kind of protection on the sync line. So. If you wanted to just use a Mr. RGB SCART cable that has a 470 ohm resistor on the sync line, that would completely and totally work. uh, And that should be all that you would need for protection. I think because this has a D-sub connector on it, I'm going to strongly recommend I think I have it here. I can show a little teaser, but there is an upcoming device, the RGB to SCART. Wait, no, the VGA to (laughs) SCART. Sorry. Uh, It's a unidirectional device, so it's only VGA style in and only SCART out, but it's designed for both sync combining of RGBHV as well as sync protection for RGBS. So essentially anything... That that's a normal gaming device, not you know some crazy one-off thing that outputs super high voltage. But any normal gaming device should be able to be put through this um, safely without any ever worrying about sync voltage. So. Uh, getting one of these when it's released hopefully soon, a week or two getting a cheap $8 VGA cable off of Amazon. The one I linked to is uh, is tested and approved by, by all the experts and then getting a shielded 3.5 millimeter to two RCA audio cable would probably be a really cheap and safe way to get this and pretty much any other retro gaming RGB over D sub device uh, down to a SCART connector safely and accompanying all of the audio and stuff like that. So Uh, That's definitely my recommendation there, but building your own VGA to SCART cable with a sync uh, resistor on the line is fine. You could safely put the resistor on the SCART end. It's not like Genesis consoles that need the components on the console end of things. So it's overall pretty easy. I just would not go directly from the VGA output to a SCART device without any protection. Now, the other good news is if you're going directly to an RGB monitor, you don't have to worry about that at all because most... RGB monitors can support TTL sync. You're definitely going to want to check out your service manual. You'll definitely want to look in back as some have toggle switches of TTL and 75 ohm. So you'll need to make sure that it's set correctly, but most can just plug this in with a very cheap VGA to BNC cable, which is always a cool option. Uh, Just connect it right up and don't even think about it for stuff like that. Same with if you're going directly to, I guess, a component video switch or a component video inputs of a consumer grade TV. You just need that pass through cable and you just need to make sure you don't have to worry about sync. Obviously, you would just need to make sure that you didn't crank up the video voltage on that. Um, Also, this has audio protection on it. And I tried to make this clear in my post, so I'll explain it slightly different here for anybody that needs a clarification. But the way the voltage protection is implemented, it will never go over 3.3 volts-ish. So you should be completely safe with all audio equipment. However, just like the, you know your headphones, stereo in your car, whatever else, if you crank the volume too high, it's going to clip. You're going to get distortion and stuff. But that's not a safety issue. That's just... It doesn't sound as good issue. So my recommendation because this is uh, has full safe protection on it is to plug this into your setup, turn the volume all the way down, and then start turning the volume up during gameplay until you start to hear some kind of distortion and clipping. You know, once again, got to say it again, this is not going to send unsafe voltage. This is just you're kind of hearing some distortion in it. Then back the volume down until you don't hear it anymore then back it down a little bit more just in case you didn't have a part of the game that has a loud audio spike. Some games have test patterns and test tones that you could play that might be easier, but it's my opinion that with something like this where you don't have to worry about bad voltage, it doesn't really matter. Get it just about right and you never have to worry. Uh, you could see here in the scope capture, even when I cranked it up with my Simpsons arcade board, which puts out some insanely high voltage if you just plug it directly into a scope, uh, it's it stayed underneath the voltage limit but then when i did the procedure that i just talked about uh it never even gets close to clipping every all the sound was great everything was cool so overall that was fine the power supply itself was interesting um i don't know if this is something that was modded by ashen after the fact i don't know of any power supplies like this that come with negative five volts on there and I was not able to do stringent power testing. I didn't have time. And I'm also not confident in my ability to talk about it like I would be video and audio voltages. Mostly because of my awful, horrific experiences in the past with bad power supplies with other companies. Not so much with retro RGB stuff. So I'll I'll definitely say this. I left Mortal Kombat 3 and 4 and CPS1 running for quite a long time using these. And it seemed fine. I didn't get any weirdness. The audio did work in the Mortal Kombat's because it uses negative 5 volts. But overall, this thing says it's rated at 5 volts, 4 amps, uh, and 12 volt, 1 amp. So if your board requires that exact spec or more, I would probably use a different power supply. Um, Not because I'm putting down anything that Ashton's doing, but because I have trust issues when it comes to power supplies. So, for example, if you you looked up your arcade board and it said it was on the 5-volt line, it requires 2 or 3 amps, and on the 12-volt line, it requires up to 1 amp, but not exceeding. I would be completely confident using this. Uh, But if you see something that's right on the line or above, I would look into Ashen's other power supply if you want a really nice enclosed one. Uh, I spoke about that last week, and he includes the proper cable, or could include the proper cable to go directly into this super gun, so you don't have to worry about fumbling around with making your own power adapters or anything like that. So... You know, once again, my caution on the power supply has nothing to do with, with any particular seller of any of these things. I just have trust issues with power supplies, and rightfully so, because of bad history with a lot of them. Uh, the only other thing to talk about is the kick harness. Uh, if you're using something like a Neo Geo, you could switch it to uh, pull the buttons off of the JAMA harness, but if you're using Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, or other six-button games, you could flip the switch to the external harness and use the ones that Ashen sent, uh, or sells along with it. I believe they're $15 each, and they're they're quality connectors, too, and everything. Uh, the only negative about this is if you're just starting out into getting super guns, and this is your first one, and you're buying the kick harnesses, there actually is no negative. Everything's totally cool. But if you're somebody that has been messing with super guns for a while, maybe you have a Haas or a minigun or some of the other cool custom ones that have been coming out, you probably already have kick harnesses for those that use a different style connector. So you're then either going to have to buy new kick harnesses from Ashen or try to build an adapter, which is pretty easy, but if you don't have any of the parts, by the time you pick up a couple of the jacks that you need on both sides, some cabling, you're going to spend more in shipping. So I would like to see somebody make, or maybe even Ashton make, an adapter cable for this, because if you have to spend 10 bucks on an adapter cable... You'd probably spend more than that in shipping to order the parts, and then you'd have to solder it yourself. So I think that would be pretty cool if something like that was available just so you could use your existing kick harnesses. But that's that's just an ease-of-use thing. That's not a functionality thing. The, the super gun itself seemed to work perfect. All six buttons for Street Fighter worked exactly the way they did with other ones with different kick harnesses. Um, the one that I purchased came with uh, the CPS 1 and 2 harness as well. So I was able to test those on mine versus the Hass and the other one that I had made. Um, you know, other than that, uh, the only other thing that, you know, the only other complaints really are it would be nice to see a TTL 75-ohm switch for the RGB output. But even with the switch, there's still a, potent- a potential that somebody's not going to know what that does and leave it on TTL anyway. So that's why I just recommend, why not not worry about it at all? Get one of these adapters when they come out or just get a quality VGA discard cable with a resistor in the end. Most don't have it though, which is why I suggest buying something that's guaranteed to have it. I have a whole other post uh, that I'm working on that it goes into detail on that, so I won't bore y'all with that here, but stay tuned for that in about a week or so of of these, you know, be careful of these VGA discard cables. Um other than that though, that and the kick harness, there's no real complaints. It performed really well. I was happy with it. So, you know, TTL sync, got to you know, either buy or make kick harness adapters um you know be careful with the video output but other than that it's pretty cool always be careful of a power supply and my only other uh, general complaint nothing to do with this product is i would love to see a wiki with a list of arcade boards that include their power requirements and that has nothing to do with ashen that's not on him to do i just think as a community if something like that exists i'd love to promote it if it doesn't i'll try to start it whenever i whenever i finally get the wiki up i know it's the lore of that thing is up there with the HD Retrovision Dreamcast cables, but I am going to get back to it. But I just would love some kind of place to go where people could say, all right, I have 15 arcade boards. You know, let me look at each one of them up. Let me figure out what the max voltage is. And then let me see what power supply I should buy to go along with that. I think a lot of people are buying the Meanwell RT65 power supplies, which should be perfect, but I don't know for sure. So I think that's one of the reasons why Ashen chose the RT85 for the power supply I talked about last week is just to be safe. But I would certainly love to see real data on something like that. Uh, Other than that, though, very cool product. Um, I believe the way Ashen does these things is he has a couple of them pre-made. And for some of the more uh, you know, I don't want to say obscure, but maybe some of the less popular stuff he builds to order. Um, I purchased mine and it arrived within two weeks. So I think there was already some ready to go. But your mileage may vary depending on what parts you're buying. But definitely check out a store because if you're an arcade head, there's a bunch of weird and cool things in there that I think you'd appreciate. So overall, I definitely think it's an awesome power or awesome power supply, super gun combo. I think it's priced right. And I think it's something that people should seriously consider if they're looking to pick up a new power supply. Why do I keep saying power supply if they're looking to pick up a new super gun? Uh, and I think, uh, you know, more testing in time on the market would need to tell if it holds up to the minigun and the Hass. But there's nothing about this that stands out that tells me that it couldn't. So uh, this could be a really great contender for super guns out there. I just think we need more people testing it and giving their feedback, but I thought it was cool. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thank you so much to everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in absolutely any way possible. Your support's what's keeping all of this alive, so I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, um, and I just hope to continue to do this as long as I can, and I can't do that without your support. So links to the support page are in all of the videos that I do. Please feel free to support in any way you can, including ways that don't even cost you any money. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you next week. (laughs) you <laughs>